0: Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and
1: produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture. Edited by Jim Harris. And music by Mike Hall. Welcome, podcast listeners. In this episode, we're going to be shooting trick arrows at the latest Marvel Disney Plus television series and 2021 Christmas special, Hawkeye. Hey, Mike, before we get into it, what did you think of Hawkeye?
0: I actually very much enjoyed this series. I think it took aim at Hawkeye in a way that nothing else has in the past. Of all of the Avengers and all of the MCU, he's probably the character that got the least amount of development. And so we actually got to spend a little bit more time with him and see what makes that character that character. What about you, Jim? What did you think?
1: Yes, a secondary Avenger becomes a primary character in his own series is basically what is happening in, in this particular show. Going into it, I mean, I had very low expectations. I mean, I often call Hawkeye the most boring Avenger. Yeah. <laughs> and it was good enough. I mean, like a lot of the Marvel uh, Disney Plus television shows, I watch them once and that's all I need to watch them. This is now three in a row for me. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, and now this series, Hawkeye. Watched it once, don't need to watch it again. WandaVision still holds up as the only one that I ever wanted to rewatch. It did what it needed to do. Some parts of the series were a little slow and a little boring and a little mediocre, but it has a a goal and it accomplishes that goal.
0: Well, going off what you say about Hawkeye being the most boring Avenger, and, and the reason I like this series is Hawkeye is always known as the most boring Avenger he's the one that like why is he even an Avenger he's just a dude that's really good at one thing but to me that's what makes that character awesome is he's just a dude that's just so good at one thing that he's Avenger level and to me that's just amazing and and the way that they can actually build the stories to make it believable that a dude is just that good at one thing and for Hawkeye, that one thing is hitting anything he's aiming at. And it doesn't matter what he's using. He just prefers a bow and arrow.
1: Correct. I would say that, like, until we got to Endgame, we didn't really get, in the in the MCU at least, we didn't really get a lot of background stuff on Hawkeye. He had a little bit of an interesting opening to Endgame with the whole Ronin storyline, which becomes a, a plot point in this series. But other than that, in this series, he's gotten the least attention so it made sense that he would have his own thing and that his own thing would be a television series and not a movie well one thing that i've i found
0: hilarious in this so like you said we don't really know his background and in this they keep poking at his background they keep mentioning his background but they still don't tell you his background
1: yeah other than his family which they did give us in the mcu even before Endgame and became a plot point of Endgame. yeah other than yeah, his background of like what he actually did in Shield oh, and no. stuff like that and
0: No 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 no. I'm talking way before that.
1: Oh. What are you referring to?
0: So and because you don't really know the character, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You have no idea the depth of the character before he even became a SHIELD agent.
1: Yeah, I'm not a comic I'm not a comic book guy, so I would have to say that the MCU maybe some animation? I, I know very little about the character. That's what I'm getting at though is
0: they don't ever go into his full background in this series there's a couple times where they kind of they mention something or they hint at something but they never actually talk about his background as a villain who murdered people before he got brought into shield so he was actually part of a circus gang that would like travel around as circus acts and then do criminal activities wherever they were his code name was trickshot and then he kind of realized that in that group nobody really cared about him he was just a weapon so he decided you know hey if i'm just going to be a weapon then i'm going to try to do some good with it and so he switched sides and became a shield agent so then that also kind of fed into when he was going after black widow what he recognized in her that she could flip as well that's why he didn't take that shot so there's a little more depth there and a little bit more history.
1: And all comes from the comic books, I'm assuming.
0: Mostly, yeah. So in preparation for this, we were kind of looking at how do we talk about this in a way that makes sense. And I think kind of like we have another series like this, when since there's only six episodes, we might as well just go episode by episode and just talk about what we thought about it and just kind of hit the high points of what we liked and didn't like about each episode and then just kind of sum things up at the end. What do you think, Jim? Sounds like a good approach to me. All right. So episode one, and that's where we kind of get the introduction. And really, episode one is all about Kate Bishop, who she is, where she came from, why she started shooting a bow and arrow, why she got so good, and how she's so good at so many things. And basically, she's been training since she was five years old.
1: She's been training since a child, and she was inspired by actually seeing Hawkeye during the Battle of New York.
0: And that's where she picked up the the bow and arrow. I don't really think we need to go through like point by point everything that happened in each episode. Just kind of hit on some of the things that we liked and didn't like. The number one thing for me, and this is really nitpicky, but it goes into my whole thing about physics all the time. So it starts with her destroying the bell clock tower thing. How did an arrow that just swung on the rope, that swings anyway pull down all of that
1: yeah i'm not quite sure why the clock tower with a bell on it fell apart and it was also just a weird opening too is it's like okay they're trying to again it's introducing us to the uh, character of kate bishop they were trying to show that she's really good as an archer why that scene played out the way it did and why it caused so much destruction i i don't know it didn't bother me but it's just like okay yeah whatever but yeah that just didn't really seem to serve any purpose at all
0: to me i guess the reason that that really stood out to me is it just it was just one of many things that well this something had to happen to get this to happen and so we'll just throw this in and pretend that it makes sense
1: yeah it was weird again i think i guess they were trying to just bridge the fact that yeah she studied archery since she was a child and she's good now But why we needed that weird scene, I don't know. And a lot of the other stuff that happens in this episode, like you say, is just setting her up. We meet her mom. We meet her mom's douchey fiancé. We find out that Kate Bishop is really rich. And that gives us a little bit of insight into her character. And then she goes to some auction house that has a surprise black market auction of uh, stuff raided from the Avengers compound after Endgame, and she's really following Mother's douchey fiancé because she... Uh,
0: actually, no, she was following Armand because she overheard her mom and Armand arguing.
1: Oh, yeah, Armand threatened... Yeah, yeah. she overheard Armand threaten her mother. She followed Armand, and then uh, Douchey yeah. Jack shows up, and then events unfold. Again, we don't have to pick it apart step-by-step, step, but one of the things that I, maybe we can come back to it later, I'll, I'll ask. It, it, it struck me as odd. I like the Ronin suit, which we'll get into. I mean, again, this, this series is introducing Kate Bishop as the new Hawkeye. So we needed some way of passing the baton. We needed a, a way or a reason for their paths to cross. And we'll get to the Ronin suit, which was one of the things that they were and sword that they were auctioning off. The watch opened up like a mystery in the first episode that I thought was going to go somewhere. And the tracksuit mafia, you know, they say when they're invading the auction that that's like the one thing that they care about. They have to find the watch. We can come back to it later, but it's like it made you wonder, I wonder what the watch is. But I don't understand why that was necessary. We can come back to that later. Obviously, the focal point was the Ronin suit. She steals it to conceal her identity while trying to fight back against the tracksuit mafia while they're robbing the place. And people see her running around the street in it and they think that Ronan is back.
0: My big question on that is, why did she take the time to put on the whole Ronan suit and not just the mask?
1: Yeah. And again, it comes back to so many of the things that we talk about (laughs) in these shows is because that's what the plot needed. They needed her in the full Ronan suit they needed the tracksuit mafia to think that Ronan was back, because as we saw briefly in, and they do some flashbacks later, that the beginning of Endgame, Clip Martin Hawkeye's reaction to his family being snapped away is he snaps and basically becomes the assassin Ronan, and he's running around the world killing criminals. And as we'll see later, he actually does, there is a connection between him, the Ronan character, and the tracksuit mafia, which we yeah. get to. But they needed her to put on the full outfit, so that the tracksuit mafia would think that Ronan was back and that she could be seen enough that she ends up on the news and Hawkeye, Clint Barton, sees what the hell's that? And he decides, because he's in New York conveniently vacationing with his family, and he decides he has to go track down whoever's in that Ronan suit because he knows it's not Ronan because he's Ronan.
0: And that, so I guess this entire episode to me was a bunch of convenient plot points to set up the rest of the series. Yes. And that's about it. It drug a little bit. And the watch thing, like you said, well, we might, we'll probably get to it a little bit more later, but the watch thing to me, I was first watching it and I was watching it week by week. The watch thing was the thing that just kind of kept popping up. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about the watch because it's not the focal point. The suit's the focal point. But then when you watch it all at once, the, the watch is much more in the forefront. It doesn't get buried as much. So for me, I guess when I was watching it week by week, the watch wasn't a big deal. It was a minor mystery, but it was kind of like a, oh, okay. So the watch is a thing. They want the watch for a reason.
1: And it probably the only reason that it became a thing for me is because I did, I waited until all of the episodes were out and I binged the entire series in one day. So that's probably why it might have stuck out a little bit more to me as a, hey, there's a, 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 maybe that's a cool mystery. I know there were a lot of fan theories online while the series was being watched week to week of people coming up with some really cool, really out there theories about what the watch could be, but we can come back to that later. But like you said, this episode briefly introduced Kate Bishop, make there be a reason for Kate Bishop and Clint Barton's paths to cross in a way that it wasn't just as simple as, give me the suit and I go away type of thing she gets herself in trouble that clint barton has to help her get out of so yeah like i said it just sets up the series and introduces most of the supporting characters
0: sets up pizza dog because for some random reason he decides to attack the russian that finds the watch right away and for no real reason it sets up that uh looks like clint's son is learning sign language so clint's kind of half learning it with him which is why he knows a few things in sign language, or maybe they're learning together because he is going deaf. And so they're thinking long-term for communication. Uh, They don't really say anything about that. They just show that he knows a little bit. And they also set up, and it's a a brief line at the auction, but they say, uh, they start talking about the Ronin character at the auction, and they say, uh, he's almost completely annihilating the status and power of the head of organized crime. So that sets up for the big reveal that's not really a reveal at the end for anybody that actually thinks about it. But for me, I didn't even, I wasn't even really thinking about it to me, something like this, it wasn't a murder mystery where I'm trying to figure out who done it. I was just watching and seeing where it went. So I guess, and again, that's kind of the difference between the way I watch things and the way you watch things, you're analyzing everything as you go and, and figuring out the the pieces so you knew kingpin right away
1: well i heard rumors of it that kingpin might be in the series i i don't think it was this episode or maybe i I forget i I don't remember which episode it happens in
0: episode three is the one that has the flashback of her as a child
1: oh okay so like i said because when when that happens you actually hear vincent d'onofrio's voice And that was the first time that it clicked to me. But again, I waited until after all the episodes had dropped. So the quote-unquote spoiler that Kingpin was in it and it was Vincent D'Onofrio was something I actually knew even before I started watching it. So yeah, it wasn't that big of a surprise to me. Even before it was revealed, I thought it was very unusual that Vincent D'Onofrio was doing so much promotion for Marvel on Twitter in the months leading up to the Hawkeye series. It's like something's going on. Yeah. I also have no comic book knowledge, so the tracksuit mafia means nothing to me. So I don't know if that's something that was something for comic book fans. I don't know.
0: I guess that's something important for me to to point out here now, too, is I only know so much about Hawkeye as a as a character from the books. I know nothing about Kate Bishop as a character from the books. So I'm coming into this fairly fresh, other than just the bits and pieces that I've learned from... You know, some of the Avengers books and, and some of the animated series and stuff. Just stuff that I've picked up along the way. But I'm not super familiar either. And so, and Kingpin, as far as the track suit Mafia, I'm, I'm assuming it's from the books. But Kingpin is the head of all crime.
1: In New York. Yeah. So,
0: ev- any little group, gang, whatever, ends up reporting to Kingpin. So, they just needed some semi-organized group of dummies to be the punching bags but that was about it for episode one
1: that was about it for episode one i, I think i'm starting to bleed into episode two because i was going to say the they even made fun of themselves because like in i think it's probably episode two because at the end of episode one is this the reveal that clint rips off the into hood and it's kate and he's like come on and then it ends so I think it's in episode two where he actually explains that that was the tracksuit mafia, and she even jokes. That's a little bit on the nose, isn't it? Yeah. So they even poke fun at the name. Episode two
0: is, starts with the reveal that ends episode one of, oh, it's a girl. And then from there on, we kind of set Hawkeye's character as being just going, god damn it, throughout the whole rest of the series. That's his entire demeanor is, god damn it. Now I got to do this shit. And and that's about it. Really, episode two, again, not a whole lot happened other than establishing that Hawkeye's really good.
1: That and the whole Christmas countdown. Like I said, it's a Christmas special that he sends his kids home and it's six days till Christmas and he promises he'll be home by Christmas, blah, blah, blah. So we have a a built-in countdown of will he get home in time for Christmas to see his family stuff? Yeah, and then, yeah, the the only other thing that's mildly entertaining, although it was weird that they brought it back later, but the LARPers, with him having to fight, because the Ronin suit was rescued from the tracksuit mafia tracks, key to her apartment. They set it on fire, and they have to run away with the suit in the apartment, and Hawkeye tries to go back later to get it, and a firefighter actually took it home. He's a LARPer. LARP stands for live-action role-play which in and of itself is kind of an in-joke because it's kind of like what critics of superhero movies call superhero movies. They're just LARPing. They're just wearing costumes and running around and pretending to fight. But Hawkeye actually having to sign up for the LARP event to win the suit back. And he's like, again, it's Marvel. There's lots of jokes all throughout this. But him like just like, shrugging his shoulders and like, I fought Thanos. And he has to go do this stupid LARP event to win the road. Yeah, siege. that whole
0: thing was mildly entertaining. It, it it was kind of funny to watch him kind of mow through the Larpers and stuff.
1: Yes, exact. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> not like not even trying either. It's like you hit hit once and you're dead. And it's just like going through it. He's just mowing everybody down. And like obviously, it's it's LARPing, right? So everyone is overacting, getting hit. So all of it is again a little bit of a an in-joke by Marvel at this is what people think all superhero movies are like. Really crappy choreographed fight scenes with overacted kills. So that was, for me, it was funny. I don't say it was good. It, was, it, was, yeah. it made me laugh.
0: But before that, uh, we get the tracksuit mafia attacking her apartment where they're trying to, to kind of gather and, and figure out what's going on. And when I said they kind of establish how good Hawkeye is, I think it was a really cool scene when they throw a Molotov cocktail at him and he breaks out the window, catches it, and then throws it back at him. And I thought that was a really cool scene of showing how good he is and how coordinated he is and everything like that. But some get in, it starts a fire, sprinkler system's there. And I think you had brought it up when we were talking about before. Is you know, we, It, it, it kind of looked like the Ronin suit had gotten burnt. But then it shows up later and it's perfectly fine. And then the rewatch, you look at it and it's like, oh, it, they purposely show that the sprinkler system is directly on it. So it's keeping the fire away from it.
1: Yeah, making it wet. I thought it was starting to melt, but it was just a sprinkler getting it wet.
0: Yeah. And then the episode ends pretty quickly. It, this is a pretty short episode for the most part. But it ends with him telling his wife, I'm going to go for a catch and release. And she's like, oh, that's one of Natasha's moves. And he's like, yeah, and, and he goes, he gets himself caught.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's the Kate thinks that Kate's mom owns a security company. So she's able to use that to track a barton down and she thinks he's in trouble and tries to help him and she ends up getting caught herself. So at the end of the episode, they're both tied up. And then that's when Maya basically walks in and then the episode ends. It, it all kind of blends together. I mean, what's going to happen next is where the episode three picks up. But that's it. Yeah, it just ends with, with her screwing up by getting caught.
0: Which goes to show, actually, that how well the episodes flow together. I mean, the episodes are, are almost like one big movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a short series, six episodes. Yeah, I mean, it would have been too long to be a movie. So they needed it to be a series. There's not a lot of bloat. I mean, the episode lengths vary. They're only as long as they need to be. Some are a little longer, some are a little shorter. But it it does what it needs to do. It would have been too long to be a movie, so it made perfect sense it would be a six-episode series. Episode three,
0: which goes into Maya as a child, kind of shows her upbringing, shows her disabilities, shows her kind of angrily trying to be in both worlds. And then the one person she cares about dies and is killed by Ronan. So it explains her hatred for the Ronin character and why her entire goal in life is to kill him or her because she doesn't know. And everything is leaning towards Kate Bishop is Ronin. So now they've got Hawkeye and they've got Kate Bishop fireworks. What's going to happen, Jim?
1: The first two episodes were kind of boring for me. Things started to get interesting in this episode. Again, I don't know anything about the comic books, so I don't know if this is a character that comes from that. Maya was an interesting character. I thought they did an interesting combination with her being deaf and playing with Hawkeye, which I call him, and sometimes during the series I call him Hawk Ear, because of his going deaf, which I also thought was done well. It was done in one of the first or second episode. Someone asks, maybe Kate asks, like, how did you lose your hearing? And he's like, oh, I don't know. It could have been anything. And there's like a quick cut of like all the times he's either been hit in the head or explosions have gone off near his head, which is also... Interesting because it shows he's just a guy. So he has a lingering, serious injury that he's lost most of his hearing as a result of everything he's done in his career. And then they were able to play up a little bit of that with Maya being fully deaf, as well as being partially disabled. Like she's missing part of one of her legs. So she has a prosthetic leg, but she's trying to overcome both of her disabilities and she's an incredible martial artist and fighter. She's a criminal because her dad was a criminal. So, good backstory for her. This is the episode I was thinking of. All you see is that flashback when she is a kid, like Kingpin pats her on the head. All you see is a hand pat her on the head, and you hear Vincent D'Onofrio's voice. Just to establish that there's a quote-unquote uncle who is the boss of a tracksuit mafia that we will, won't meet until later. And then we get an interesting show where she tells Hawkeye, Maya, and, and this is also where they try to lie, Right. So Maya wants to kill Ronan and Hawkeye lies and says that Ronan is dead, that Ronan was killed by Black Widow.
0: But is he lying because Ronan is dead?
1: Literally, he is lying. Figuratively, that is true, that Ronan no, n- no longer exists because Barton is no longer him because Right. Technically, Black Widow went to get him because they had an Avengers mission to try to undo the snap. She was actually, not to go back to Endgame, but I mean, she knew that he was Ronan and he was out there killing people and she didn't do anything about it. She didn't go get him until there was an Avengers mission. She was letting him murder his way through the world's criminals. (laughs) So you could technically say that it's not a complete lie that Black Widow killed Ronan, but even as like as the second-in-command Kazi said, it's like, well, that's rather convenient. You're telling us that Ronan is dead and the person who killed him is also dead, but that's because if he admits that, oh, it was me, then they would kill him and also probably... He's trying to get him and Kate out of there without getting kills. Yeah, technically
0: a lie, but not really because Black Widow killed Ronan by stopping him from being Ronan. And he was there when it happened, because that's what he says. He's like, yeah, Ronan's dead. Who killed him? Black Widow. How do you know?
1: I was there. He's technically lying, but... Yeah, I understand. It's a cute piece of dialogue. But, I mean, he's trying to get... I mean, that was what he was going to tell him before Kate was there. But Kate got screwed up and got captured, too. Because if that didn't work, maybe he would have just fought his way out or, or something. Mm-hmm. But now he's in a situation where he has to be more careful because now Kate could also get killed. Yeah. So then Maya's like, "Yo, you're." She had a nice line about your you your over reliance on technology is your weakness, which you could think, "Oh, does she mean bows and arrows?" No, she kicks him in the head and breaks his hearing aid. So now Hawkeye can't hear. So now they have basically a deaf fight, and it's also another way of showing, yes, he's the most boring Avenger. He's just a guy. But even after losing his hearing aid, he's still able to fight and he's still able to do some pretty cool bow and arrow stuff too and fight well enough to get him and Kate out of the warehouse where they were being held.
0: That warehouse fight scene really stood out to me and how creative it was in the way that they were using their environment. You know, she fought off like three guys with a shopping cart. You know, stuff like that. I I just thought it was really interesting how they used the environment and how they got creative with it. It wasn't just a typical martial arts fight scene. There was a lot of random things going on. A lot of things kind of outside the norm in this fight scene. So I thought it was fun. I also want to go back for a second. The whole opening of Maya as a child and the way that this series kind of dives into the why people are the way that they are is really like at the heart of everything Marvel and why I've always liked Marvel more than DC. And really what brings me into really liking comic books is the diving into, okay, we've got this character that does this thing. What's their motivation? Why did they end up here? What things had to happen to get them into this spot? And the fact that they take the time to go back and show that is very interesting to me. But at the same time, in a show about Hawkeye, they never really dive into that about Hawkeye. And we still don't, like I said at the beginning, we still don't know the background of Hawkeye. So for me, I don't want to get too far ahead to to a conclusion. But to me, these first three episodes in particular really pushed to me that this show wasn't about Clint Hawkeye. It was about Kate Hawkeye. And Clint was actually a side character.
1: Yeah, he's basically a side character in his own series. That's what I kind of meant off the top when I said that this series accomplished its objective. And for me, its objective was to introduce Kate Bishop. Yeah. That's it, because she's going to be... We'll talk about her future uh, afterwards, but that's really what this show is about. I, I agree. It's a little bit weird. Somewhat similar to some of the remarks that you made about the Black Widow movie, about how little the Black Widow movie was actually about Black Widow that he would think if there was going to be a time where you're going to go into and show us and talk about and give us a lot of, of Natasha's backgrounds. We didn't get as much of it as you would have thought in the black widow movie. And we got most of what we learn about Hawkeye comes through conversations with other characters and pretty much all of his other background stuff is just clips from the movies.
0: Yeah. But you know what we did get in this after the really cool warehouse fight scene. The obligatory car chase scene.
1: Because exactly, it's, it's an action series. We've had fights, now we have to have a chase scene. And of course, this is where we also need to start making fun of trick arrows. Making fun of or
0: exploring? Finally introducing.
1: Oh, because you're saying that he didn't really use a lot of trick arrows before this series? Not really. I mean, he used some exploding arrows
0: and a grappling hook arrow, and that's, that's about it. Why didn't he use a glue arrow
1: on Quicksilver? That would have been cool. (laughs) This is one of the first times we've seen, like you said, other than some of the generic exploding or grappling hook things, we see some of them. And it comes back around later, so I'll wait. But the ones that we see in this are mostly, again, it's Marvel. As much action as it is comedy. So there's a lot of jokes about, like, he's, he's driving because Kate can't drive for some reason. So she's shooting the arrows, and he keeps, like, taking arrows away from her. Look, not that one. Not that one. That's too dangerous. That's too dangerous. So some of it was funny. The Pim arrow that's in this episode was a little dumb. But, again, trick arrow fun. Yeah. In this case, they have a Pim arrow that makes an arrow bigger so that it comes down like a giant missile and takes out a car. Yeah. But most of the other stuff was kind of meh.
0: Again, probably because of the comic books thing. So it was kind of fun to see the comic book arrows come to life. And, you know, there was a few jokes, you know, he's, he's driving because he's hot wiring it and he's trying to get her to drive and he can't hear her telling him that she can't drive. And then they start shooting at him. So they just have to get in where they're at. So he has to drive. And so there's a lot of her just shooting arrows randomly, not knowing what they do and figuring out what they do and, you know, there's the plunger arrow. She's like, why is that a thing? Why, why would you ever want a plunger arrow? And then he goes and, and takes it back. So then he ends up using it to hold on to the train later. She's like, oh, okay, That's, that makes sense then. So it just kind of shows that these all these stupid trick arrows have their uses. And the only other thing that I thought was funny was, again, it was kind of obligatory. There is a lot focus on the outfits. And so she draws kind of the original Hawkeye outfit, saying, "Oh, yeah, you should have better branding. You should draw you know, wear something like this." He's like, "Oh, what's what's that on the head? You know, wings, like like a hawk. And that's an h for Hawkeye. Okay, it's dumb.
1: his whole point of like you do understand that the entire point of me is to not be noticed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you want me to wear a a hawk suit with a giant h on it. it's like, no, I'm supposed to blend in and and not yeah. be noticed." Yeah. So there were, there were those jokes that were, were funny too. Plus the whole idea, like she keeps trying to tell him kind of like, yo, he was her inspiration, which they'll talk more about later, but that she, and she keeps saying you have a branding issue again, poking a little bit of poking fun at you're the most boring Avenger. People should know you more type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny. They're walking through like times square and she's like, Hey, look, it's you. Cause they like, they're in times square and they're like people dressed up as different heroes and stuff and she's like, hey, look, there's you. And he's like, no, that's Katniss Everdeen <laughs> from The Hunger Games.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's about all this episode was, though. It was just kind of a cool fight scene, then a car chase scene, and that's about it.
1: And all the episodes, again, for for the week-to-week format, they have to end on some Whoa, uh, what's happening? And in this case, they go back to Eleanor's apartment to look up stuff about the tracksuit mafia and... Clint's walking down the hallway and the Ronin sword just pops out and is at his neck. And that's how the episode ends.
0: Yeah. Uh, And and so Jack douchebag, I think is what you called him. (laughs) He was like, yes. Very first time I looked at him, I was like, Oh, look it's swordsman. He looked the part really well. And I don't even know that character. Like I know of that character. I don't think I've ever read a single book that had that character in it. When you're around something enough, you learn things about characters that you don't even really know. And that was the thing, like, right when you showed up, I'm like, oh, look, Swordsman. Oh, he's into swords. Yep, that's definitely Swordsman. So when that that sword popped out, I'm like, yep, it's Swordsman. And then I expected a really cool sword fight scene.
1: Yeah, and we were led to believe up until that point in the series that Armand had been killed by a sword. They showed a fencing scene where Kate and Douchey Jack fence with each other, which, again, led us to to think that Jack was the one who killed Armand. Yeah. Which comes back around later. Well, one of the things that's interesting about this episode, so this is where Eleanor and Jack basically find out that Kate is running around with Clint. And this is one of the first times where, and it happens several times throughout the series, but like Eleanor's like, uh, why is there an Avenger in my house? And it almost, and like almost every single time someone meets Clint for the first time, they're like, thank you for saving our world which is like the equivalent of thank you for your service that people say to members of the military a lot because they don't really know what else to say. And it's most of the time they actually don't mean anything by it. It's sort of just like a... It's a show of respect. It's it's a show of respect, but the way that they poke at it in this is also one of the things that people poke at it in the real world where people who actually don't give a fuck about military and actually don't really give a crap about their service just say thank you for for your service in a dismissive way. And to me, that's the way people throughout the series were saying thank you for saving the world to Hawkeye. Not because they actually were appreciative of anything he did, but that's kind of like the dismissive way that, that's that's how I read into it. Yeah, I didn't
0: read into it that way at all.
1: And and, and, all, and all throughout the series, every time someone meets uh, Clint, it's like, I know who you are. He's... Famous enough. He's the most boring Avenger, but people know who he is. So in episode four, we find out that, I mean, Clint steals the sword back from Jack without their knowing, but they lead down the uh with assistance from both Kate and then also Clint's wife that leads up to the opening of that there's a shell company, Sloan Limited, that is behind the tracksuit mafia and Jack is associated with it, which again makes us think that, hey, we have a... Jack's the bad guy type of thing. Yeah. It's one of the things that happens. And then the other is the kind of maybe admitting or poking fun at one of the things that people criticize Hawkeye for is, really, he just shoots a bunch of arrows. What happens when he runs out of his arrows? And then part of this episode is trying to figure out a way to, I need to get my arrows back. Mm-hmm. And because one of the LARPers is a cop, they have that cop help go to the evidence, lock up and get the arrows we use so that I can, uh, my arrows can... I can have arrows to use again.
0: Yeah. The first half of this episode is kind of setting up her going, hey, we're partners, we're doing this thing together, and him saying, no, we're not doing this together. I have to do things with you right now, but as soon as I can get away from that, we're getting away from that, and I'm doing on my own. And then, you know, it's basically Christmas at this point. You know, he's by himself, he's away from his family. So she goes over to him and basically brings his family family christmas traditions to him and they bond they get they start getting along he teaches her how to and this was a really cool scene for me personally uh when he teaches her how to flick a thing to hit something really hard and actually aim it so he starts off with it's like a little ornament that's a disc that he says you know she's like oh you know something like what's the coolest thing you can do he's like well i can kill somebody with this And she's like, no, you can't. And he flicks it and it bounces off a few things and hits the TV and turns it off. So then he's teaching her how to do that. And the reason I thought that was really cool was actually it came from one of the books that I read that actually had him in it. I I may be remembering it slightly wrong, but it was basically he's tied down on a table and they're telling him that they're about to, to go kill everybody he cares about, his family, the shield agents, Avengers, you know, everybody that they're, that they have access to, and they're going to go kill everybody. And so he's sitting there in the, on this room and he can't move anything except for he can move his hands slightly, but his wrists are tied down. And it shows him sitting there digging at his fingernails. And what he ends up doing is digging all of his fingernails out. And then when they come back in the room, he flicks them at them and kills them all with his fingernails. And you know, the last one remaining, he's like, to me, everything's a weapon." and he he gets free and he saves the day and to me that's again goes into hawkeye as a character and what makes hawkeye a good character is he he is kind of like spider-man in the way of he's somebody that is willing to sacrifice and do whatever he needs to do to win and so he's willing to go through all of that pain of digging out his own fingernails in order to save the day that makes sense
1: that does. In that scene with the flicky thing, and even in some of the stuff we see early in the series, I think, because again, Hawkeye is somewhat in the spotlight, but the sh- he's in the show. So we're, we're looking at him closer than we would have in other things he's been in. It points out, like you said, we've said already, he's just a guy and he has weaknesses. Like he has you know lost his hearing because of everything that's happened. But he's just really athletic, really coordinated and has incredible agility it's not just about i can from a standing position shoot an arrow and hit something whether it's a stationary or moving target he also is incredibly he has incredible agility like earlier in the warehouse scene where he's like doing a flip and falling off of a balcony and he still hits and shoots somebody with an arrow or he catches something in his peripheral peripheral vision and he can turn and shoot without having to look at it or at this thing that they talked about in this episode when Kate talks about how he inspired her. is like, you, I saw you during the Battle of New York jump off of a building. It's like, you don't have superpowers. You can't fly. But with a stick and a string, you fought back. So this guy that, yes, he is just a normal guy. He doesn't have superpowers. But he is like at the top of what a non-superpowered human could be. That's why he is able to be an avenger because he's has no superpowers but he's as as good as a person could be without superpowers so he's batman in terms of martial arts and fighting he's bat uh, (laughs) he doesn't have the the great detective angle as batman he doesn't have the money that batman has i mean kate bishop could be because she's rich but almost I don't really like the Batman analogy, but I know where you're going with. I was just trying to say he's incredibly skilled, non-superpowered human. But he does actually kinda of have with the spy background in and,
0: and connections, he does kinda of have detective-ish abilities, but just no money. But anyways, yeah, so and then then in this episode we also get Kate figuring out that he's Ronin and he admits it to her, all that stuff.
1: He does, and then this this is again one of the two of the best parts of the series for me. It's weird. Both of them are conversations, and one of them occurs in this episode. So this is when they are back, where Kate is trying to make it up to him and bringing the Christmas traditions to him, because he's missing the Christmas traditions with his family. They're just having a conversation, and she's like, yeah, basically, I figured it out, you're Ronan. And they actually have a conversation, and he talks about how you know, not everybody Everybody handled a blip in a di- different way. He doesn't go into a lot of detail because we don't need him to because we've seen Endgame, so we know what he's referring to. Mm-hmm. But basically the whole idea of, yeah, that was him, and that's why he's why he's so involved in this is because he knows who Ronan is because he was Ronan. But also when, he, when she talks about Hawkeye being an inspiration to her and stuff, he just basically is honest, doesn't go into all the stuff you were talking about before in the background of the character which would have been nice but he basically is like at the end of the day i kill people the only thing when i was called a hero it was just when i was pointed at the right targets by the right people and when that happened people called me a hero but even going back to his shield days and again they don't go into a lot of detail it's just a brief conversation there's no flashback sequences but he's like at the end of the day i'm sent to kill someone if that's a bad guy and a good guy sent me to do it, you call me a hero. But that's all I am. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a good conversation about the reality of, of who he is. And in, also in that same conversation, she asked him, what's the best shot hit you ever took? And he makes, again, the reference that we all know is like the shot I didn't take, where he takes a brief reference about how he was sent to kill Black Widow, but didn't. Again, they don't go into a lot of detail because we know the story. Right. So it doesn't give you everything that you were talking about earlier, but it's a little, in a conversation, a brief conversation, we get a little bit of that background. Which goes into kind of what
0: I was saying before about what I like about the series so much is how it humanizes everybody. Yes. He's not just a guy that's good at something. He's a guy with feelings. He's a guy with a family. He's a guy with history. He's a guy that thinks you know, he, he knows his role. He knows what that people are manipulating him. He just lets it happen. And he only lets himself get manipulated in ways that benefit him and, and keep things going the right direction. Which also goes into another thing, like another one of his roles. Somewhat, he's just a guy. So his focus is people. And it goes into, and I, I hesitate I don't necessarily want to make this analogy, but it's kind of the same thing is green arrow in justice league and how they bring him in to be kind of the moral compass. So they don't lose sight of the common person and Hawkeye's kind of that here too. He's the common person. And that's kind of where his focus ends up being in other areas. They kind of, they joke about it and he's, he's like, yeah, we're, we're fighting aliens and I'm a guy with a bow and arrow I think it was when they were fighting Ultron, actually. And he's like, yeah, we're fighting this sentient machine and I'm sitting here with a bow and arrow. That doesn't make sense. But you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it anyway because that's what needs to be done. And so this series just brings more depth to that.
1: This series brings more depth to that. Again, it might have been nice in certain aspects if they had gone into more detail or, or done with it. But the closest we get to that is in this episode. Part of that whole Hawkeye basically trying to say this isn't what he says but the whole like don't call me a good guy i'm just an assassin she was basically like well if if you weren't a good guy you didn't care you would have left new york with your family you stayed in new york to basically save kate's life if he didn't care and he didn't have any of that moral compass thing then he just would have been like not my problem and just went back with his family yeah but he stayed it's like yeah someone else is going to get killed for being ronin oh well not my problem (laughs) <laughs> but he doesn't do that, so Right. Because he does care. Right. Again, it's not the depth of the character that you just discussed that would have been nice. But again, I think the series is his spoon feeding you just a little bit enough if you if you care enough to if you want to think about it, most people probably wouldn't to get you there. Yeah. So this is where the series this episode is where the series actually gets good. Although here's where the weird watch thing comes back into play in this episode. Because at this point, it's like, okay, they still have a Ronin problem that Maya doesn't completely buy the excuse and Kate and Clint are probably still in trouble. But here's where they get his wife involved and it's like, we need to get the watch back. I got to retrieve the watch. And Kate's like, "Why, why does the watch matter? And he's like, well, it belonged to a friend of mine who's out of the game now. And if that watch, we don't retrieve that watch, that could be bad for them. And then they find out Laura, Clint's wife, pings the watch and gives them a location of where the watch is. And they go to retrieve the watch. It turns out to be Maya's apartment. And here's where the series gets great. Well, not great. Here's where the best part of the series is for me. Yelena shows up at the end of episode four.
0: Yeah, going week to week. I mentioned earlier where the watch kind of becomes background because we hadn't really heard anything about the watch since episode one. And this is episode four. Right. So like I said, you know, you don't really know anything. You just kind of forget about the watch because the focus is on the Ronin suit and the sword and then the watch pops up and you like, Oh yeah, that little side mission thing. And that's all it really feels like is just a side mission when you're watching week to week. Right. But when I watched it yesterday, when I, I yesterday I went through and I, I binged them all in a row, and it felt like the watch was a much bigger deal when you're watching it all in a row because there's not as much time in between. Right. But yeah, that was that was a cool uh, Hawkeye's versus Maya and Black Widow assassin thing, and it ends with him, you know, the big cliffhanger of him going, someone or hired a Black Widow assassin. And so he's trying to get her to leave so that... It's
1: like things just got taken to a whole other level. And he tries to break off his partnership with Kate completely and says, you know, this is now too dangerous for you to be involved. And that's how we get to the end of episode four.
0: Which then brings us to episode five, which starts very interestingly, uh, because it starts with Yelena and another Black Widow breaking into a house to free another Black Widow of the Mind Control Turns out that Blick Widow was not under my control and was just kind of freelancing. But it also showed Lelina get blipped. And as far as I can remember, this is the first time we've seen the blip from the blippies point of view. And I thought it was really cool the way they did that. They kind of show her going to Ash and then coming back and then everything else kind of goes to Ash and comes back around her as everything changes.
1: In real time. I mean, we saw her in... Right. We saw in division. we saw Spectrum. Yeah. She blipped at the hospital and then comes back and is confused how it... But yeah, in this case, it's all one quick scene. We see Blip return in real time. And it doesn't fill in a blank, but it helps round out the story of the Black Widow movie. Because at the end of the Black Widow movie, we jump right from... Because the Black Widow movie is after Civil War, but before Thanos and then it jumps to the very end of Yelena at Natasha's grave and with not much like other than like we see in this episode Yelena left Natasha to go free the Black Widows around the world and then this jump cuts to Yelena visiting Natasha's grave now we actually see what happened in between like you said the mission that they were on she blips she comes back she's confused it. it's been five years he's like I, I have to get in touch with Natasha she's probably worried about me we obviously know what's happening but then and then that leads into the rest of the episode which
0: is actually probably this is to me probably one of the best scenes in the entire series and that is Yelena interrogating Kate
1: oh it is definitely that's what I said that my two favorite scenes are conversations the mac and cheese scene where in this case is just Yelena sitting down with Kate having a conversation over mac and cheese best scene in the entire series and that's all they're doing is just talking yeah. Florence Pugh, Pew Pew Pugh, was definitely pew, pew, the best part pew. of, <laughs> was definitely the best part of the Black Widow movie. I think she's the best part of the Hawkeye series as well. She's just freaking hilarious. But yeah, that conversation, best seen in the entire series.
0: I almost don't like that character, but I, the way she plays it, I think is fantastic because it makes her seem like a more realistic person. Everybody else seems like, okay, they've got this character, but it's a very two-dimensional character. But she is a full person. She just casually has the conversations the way that somebody probably would just casually have the conversation. And I like the way that actually Kate brings attention to it. was saying, do you keep saying my full name because you want me to know that you know more about me? She's like, yep. And then just starts going into the details. And just the way that it works out. And... In the next episode, I really like that part too where she's like, Stop making me like you. She's like, I can't. It's 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 just what it is.
1: Right. I think you mentioned it during the Black Widow movie episode that she has she has a different sense of humor. I mean, Marvel is known for injecting humor and in having characters that provide some comic relief, but the quirky, sarcastic, deadpan sense of humor that Yelena brings is definitely different. And it's, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, Her fight scenes are also really cool, too. But yeah, the interactions that she has, especially in that particular scene, definitely add.
0: In this conversation, she brings up and says, you know, I was hired to kill Hawkeye. And this is what, you know, what I'm here to do. And it brings up the questions of, okay, she, she was hired. But by who? Why? When? You know, all these things. The so last we knew, she was already getting pointed at Hawkeye. But it wasn't hiring. It was like, hey... That's who killed your sister. But one one line in particular connects to what I was saying before about uh where it kind of hint at Hawkeye's past. And she says, How has everyone forgiven him for his past? And it if you pay attention, you hear that line, it triggers thinking, Wait, what past? Because they never really talk about his past. They kind of hint at, even in previous things. They kind of hint at, you know, he had a rough past, but they never tell you what it is.
1: Right. And again, the world doesn't know that he was Ronin, so she can't be referring to Ronin. Right. And she doesn't actually know the real story. She blames him for Natasha's death without knowing what happened, and no one really knows what happened unless... So it's like, yeah, so what past could she be... Ta- she has to be talking about a past that was not mentioned, like you were talking about, like you just said. It doesn't really make a lot of sense i mean casual viewers might think that she means ronin because that is the name of the episode and what we're about to talk about but that can't be what she's referring to because no one knew that he was ronin right well technically she does because she talks about how the the number of people he killed could wrap around the world and in terms of the, the number of the bloodbath that he met and like kate jokes is like that's a very russian thing you just said So it was kind of, I I guess she was referring to all of the people he killed as Ronin, but no one really knows that it was him. That's what I'm getting at, though, is that was his past before S.H.I.E.L.D. I know, but that's not in the series. That's not in the MCU. The only thing her character could have been referring to is the bloodbath of when he was Ronin.
0: But she's talking about his past past, at least the way I, I heard it anyway. Because there's no way she would know that he was Ronan. She might
1: not even know of Ronan because she was gone. She was blipped out during Ronan. Well, then I'm even more confused as to what... I mean, I understand your point that you made out before, but that's outside knowledge. That's not in the MCU. It's not mentioned in this series. It's a past-past that, the more I think about it, it doesn't actually make any sense because what what could she be talking about? We don't know, and that's what I'm getting at is they're not... They keep hinting at a
0: past-past. You know, she's saying... You know, that line, why is every, how has everyone forgiven him for his past? The number of bodies that he's, you know, has could wipe around the world, you know, she's hinting at what happened way before, but again, we're not actually being told what happened way before. So I don't know if they're setting all this up for something that pays off later.
1: If he does come back for something. I I doubt it. It might just be a follow-up to what he, what Clinton told Kate in the previous episode that basically when it comes right down to it, I just kill people. Yeah, again, like I said earlier, it's like I'm considered a hero when the right people send me to kill the right people. Yeah, and it could just be an
0: Easter egg for people like me.
1: It could be, right? I mean, I, unless she's trying to, unless she's trying to further justify to herself or Kate Yelena that is further justify to herself and Kate that it's not he's she's not just trying to get revenge for Natasha, although that's what she wants revenge for. She's trying to suggest that, you know, he's a bad guy anyway, so.
0: Yeah, could be. So
1: uh, after the mac
0: and cheese scene, we get to another very humanizing scene.
1: Well, one last thing on that is Kate does a good job in that scene because she actually plants seeds of doubt in Yelena because there was a part of the conversation we were talking about, like, if Clint's really bad or who. She's the one who kind of says, like, it makes you, shouldn't that make you think about who asked you to kill him? So Kate sort of plants a seed of doubt in Yelena, or at least a seed of curiosity in Yelena to figure out more about something along the lines of, I get why you want to kill him, but why does, someone, why does someone hire you to kill him? And that's what leads Yelena to trail Eleanor and send Kate the information that, hey, I found the person who hired me. And hey, here's this really convenient conversation that I recorded with someone that's a big surprise at the end of this episode. Isn't this information you should know? So that was also as a byproduct of that conversation.
0: Yeah. Uh, As I was, I was hitting that the end of, or after the mac and cheese, cool conversation scene goes to another very humanizing scene of Clint tired, sore, beaten up, has nowhere to go, goes over to the only person he knows at the time, which is, I forget the guy's name, but the firefighter that originally had the Ronin suit grills. Yeah. Yep. Grills who's watching the dog pizza dog for him. So basically he's going over there, you know, he, he eats some pizza and then passes out on the couch. And I, I just think it's, it's hilarious to me. I'm like, everybody knows him. He's super famous. He's a world known hero Avenger. And he's just passing out on some random person's couch. Cause he has nowhere to go. <laughs> he just eats some pizza and passes out. I, I just thought that was very humanizing. And that's, I mean, you're a big story guy. We talk about that all the time. I'm a big characters guy. And so that's that right there, that small throwaway scene to me is the the type of scene that makes the series awesome to me. And then we get the next scene, which is something that you actually really hate. And I thought it was very interesting was he goes to the memorial for the Battle of New York and he kind of has a moment with Black Widow. Now you said you hated this because he took his hearing aid out and it didn't make sense to you and why he would take his hearing aid out.
1: Oh, yeah, we had talked about that off, Mike. Th- th- there's a couple of times throughout the series where he just takes his hearing aid out, and that's one of them. And I was just like, that's kind of dumb because people are hunting him, and he's he's basically making himself more vulnerable by taking out his hearing aid. It just seemed like something that the character wouldn't do. It would be because he also takes out the hearing aid when he's crashing on Grills's couch. It's like you don't, you want to eliminate your hearing when someone could be breaking into the apartment to try to kill you or when you're standing on the street looking at the. But again, it happens at several times throughout the series, whether he's at Grill's apartment or at Kate's aunt's apartment or that scene at the thing, he just takes his hearing aid out because he just wants it to be quiet. I can understand needing a quiet moment, but people are trying to kill you. You're not going to hear them coming because you took out your hearing aid. That's what bothered me. That's all. That's a poor tactical decision that he makes several times throughout the series. Fair enough. So the, the episode ends with the thing that freaked everybody else out. Yelena texts Kate a bunch of really useful information, as well as to basically lead to the big plot twist that Eleanor's not a good guy, and she's having a meeting with Kingpin. And you had even said that the very first time that you saw the series, you didn't even think that the pitcher looked like Kingpin, because it's a fuzzy pitcher.
0: Well, no, I, I knew it was Kingpin. I didn't think it looked like Vincent D'Onofrio. But before that reveal, we get the cool uh, Hawk Ninja versus the tracksuits when he goes to meet uh, Maya. And we get like full on Ninja Hawkeye going through and taking everybody out and nobody can see him. I thought that was a very cool scene where he's, he goes full Ronin again and just kind of takes everybody out and just dominates and beats the crap out of Maya and kind of holds her there by sword point. Now, I thought that was a really cool scene of just showing how quickly he reverted back to that.
1: Yes. And also that scene, too, where he takes off his mask and he's like, I want you to see my face. And she's like, why? So I, so I can see who's killing me? And he's like, no. So you can see that. It was his way to say that this is over. I'm, I'm Ronan. Leave Kate Bishop alone. She has nothing to do with this. It was me. But, and then that's where she says, you know, think about it. Yeah, I killed your dad. Who gave me that information? Your boss. And yes, I know who your boss is. Let me kill your dad and all those people because I had an informant that led me there. Kind of like planting the seed of doubt in her head. as like, your father and those people died because your boss wanted them dead and he essentially used me to kill them. Think about that. And then he leaves. So he doesn't kill Maya. And then that makes her think, and then she goes later, and we'll get into that in the next episode. So he, he, he again, points that whole seed of doubt, but also that whole idea is like, if you think about it, how did I even know where the tracksuit mafia was? How did I know to kill your dad? I had an informant, and your boss knew about it.
0: Yeah. It also ties back into who's aiming him to kill who.
1: Yeah, exactly. Off of his earlier point, it's like, when I'm pointed at the right targets by the right people, I'm a hero. It's like, he got pointed at the tracksuit mafia by Kingpin or by Kingpin's informant. And she, he wanted Maya to think about that. And then,
0: you know, we get the big Kingpin reveal, which leads directly into the next episode, which is, you know, starts with, you know, Kingpin meeting with Eleanor and then Kingpin meeting with Maya and and just kind of showing how he's there pulling the strings and where those relationships are. And basically it shows both of them wanting to leave and get away from him and him basically being like, no, you can't do that. You know, once you're in my employee, you can't get away from it. Which is kind of how Kingpin keeps power.
1: Yeah, exactly. Eleanor was one of the bad guys all along that she arranged for the killing of Ramond. She framed her fiancé, Deuce Jack. Although it does beg the question of, was she setting up her fiancé anyway? Or did she play that card because Kate came to her and told her about Deuce Jack? Why else would she be? she be even... Engaged to marry him if she was gonna sacrifice him like that as a pawn, but in that scene she says, I killed Armand like you wanted, I set up Jack for it like you wanted. And and also I hired uh an assassin to take out Barton. So she's revealed to basically yeah, she works for Kingpin, but she's revealed to basically be behind everything that happens in the series.
0: And it also shows that she's working for Kingpin because Kate's dad had gotten into debt with Kingpin and she had to repay it by working for him.
1: And then she says she's out and she has an insurance policy and that Kingpin shouldn't come after her. And then we have the scene with Kazi, Maya, and Kingpin where Maya asks for some time off, but Kingpin immediately turns to Kazi and is like, she's no longer with us. So it's a big plot twist pivot. Eleanor is a bad guy. Maya is a bad guy turned, we don't know. And now. Kingpin wants Kazi to clean everything up.
0: Yeah. Which then goes directly into a more fun scene of Kate finding out that Clint makes his
1: own trick arrows and he's going to teach her how. Which kind of begs the question, then why the hell did he need to have his trick arrows from before retrieved from the police station in the first place? If he could just make more. Because he needed the parts from the other ones? Maybe he just needed the base arrows. I don't know. I mean, he re they reused most of them in the initial fight with uh, Yelena. But yeah, I mean, it, there's some passing remark about it's not just about the arrowheads, but also the shafts and stuff like that. But obviously, there was an ability for him to make more.
0: And there's also a, a joke that pays off because earlier she's like in the third or second episode when they had, third episode when they had the the car chase scene. She's like, you should really label these. So then in this one, it shows her with a label maker labeling all the arrows to make sure they know which one's which.
1: <laughs> yes, that was funny. So now we have the sort of the final Ocean's Eleven Mission Impossible set up with let's, for some reason, use the LARPers and set up a big sting at the dinner. So they go undercover, not undercover, to Eleanor's big Christmas party thing, and they're going to crash it. And then we even have, again, funny moments abound throughout. The, I mean, Jack walks in. He's been released from police custody. He has a sword strapped to his side. And, you know, Hawkeye's like, well, wow, that's a that's a bold choice. It's like you just got released by the police under suspicion of murdering someone with a sword. And you come to a party with a sword.
0: <laughs> and she's like, yeah, maybe that's, he's just trying to prove his innocence. He's like, that's a weird flex.
1: And it's like, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then the LARPers get used. Yeah. The, the big thing that bothered me in this scene was, so you got, you got Kazi on the, on the other side with a sniper rifle. And of course they see the, the, the red dot. And so they know to hide as he starts shooting and what sniper uses a red dot. Yeah. I mean, a, the laser that far away, it wouldn't just be a little dot. It would be a much bigger dot and B, if they're actually, if he was to use a red dot, it would be a red dot scope, which keeps the red dot in the scope. So, why? Yeah, just one of those things that movies always get wrong.
1: And they just needed that scene to unfold the way it did. Plus, it also doesn't really make sense that if Kazi was there to kill everybody, if Kingpin wanted everybody taken off the board, you just send one sniper... And then everybody else is just waiting outside on the street in the vans and stuff. It's like, eh, uh, better assassins could have been sent than just Kazi with a sniper rifle. But again, it has to unfold stupidly so that the scene can unfold.
0: Well, I think he was only there to kill Eleanor. And then when he saw Hawkeye, he's like, oh, this is my chance to take out Hawkeye.
1: Yeah, take out Yeah, take out everybody at, at the same time. And of course, Yelena's at the party as well, because she's still there to get after Hawkeye, so... Hijinks ensues, which include the LARPers. And then the ending of it, it it just gets a little over-the-top silly with the trick arrows and the absurd number of track suit mafia guys and the fights that happen inside the building, outside the building, on the ice rink. Yeah. That's where it starts to get away from me. Other than the final confrontation with Yelena, which you could see coming from the very beginning as soon as she was introduced— that they were going to have a big fight, but she wasn't going to kill him, and they were going to come to a sort of acceptance of what happened to Natasha. Yeah,
0: there, there wasn't really any surprises.
1: Really wasn't any surprises, and was there anything about those final fight sequences or action sequences you liked? I mean, we'll get to the kingpin thing in a second, so pre-kingpin stuff. Well, one thing that bothered me
0: was, okay, you get uh, Jack Douchebag coming out and pulling out a sword and like, you know, hey, this is my chance. And he comes out and he starts sword fighting the tracksuit mafia guys. Why did they have swords? I don't know. When pretty much all of them have guns, all of a sudden there's a group of them with swords just for swordsmen to fight. Yes. But anyways, beyond that, I mean, you get the cool new outfit reveals. Yes. Which the comic accurate outfit, that was kind of cool to see. But otherwise, I mean, it's absurd, but it's fun.
1: Oh yeah, it's, it's entertaining. It, it tips a little bit into the absurd for me with uh, the overuse of the trick arrows. It gets a little bit silly. Some of them were good. Like the PIM arrow in this one is better, that she shoots the truck that is coming at them and it gets made smaller. And which was also funny because then Kate asks Clint's like, "Now what do we do?" And then an owl comes down and grabs the shrunken bro truck and flies it away. But before like that, when Kate asks, so now what happens? And Clintus looks down and is like, I guess I'll have to ask Scott about that. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then very conveniently, an owl comes and cleans up the mess. Yes. Because all of that happening, an owl would definitely be there to swoop down and grab the one thing.
1: Yes. (sighs) Oh. But yeah, I mean, otherwise, I really don't have a whole lot to say about it other than it was cool. And then we have the other—while the Clint-Yelena scene is playing out, we then shift over to Kate confronts Eleanor and Kingpin. And here's where Kingpin enters and basically tries to kill Eleanor. And then Eleanor hits him with a car, and he gets knocked through a store display. And then Kate fights against Kingpin, and Kingpin's throwing her around like a ragdoll, even though she's not getting hurt— And he's trying to get to Eleanor, like, outside on the street. She shoots him with an arrow, hits him in his suit, which is protected and doesn't hurt him. They fight inside. He grabs the arrows and breaks them, the arrow shafts, and she does the whole snappy thing to make the arrows ignite into a bomb that blows up Kingpin. Doesn't kill him, but blows him up.
0: Yeah, that fight scene, what I liked about it actually was the little nod to the Kingpin character of, I don't want to kill you because there's no reason to kill you. There's no profit in it. You're not my objective. You're meaningless to me. You mean nothing. I'm just going to go kill your mom because that's business. And it's not personal for him. And he doesn't understand why it's personal for her, even though it's family, because that's just not the way he thinks. Yeah. And again, if you don't really know much about the character, you don't, you're confused by this, but if you know the character, it makes a little more sense.
1: I can see that again. It's, it's business, not personal, but like, uh, yeah, like you already said, it's her mom. But it, again, he throws her like three times. You would think at least once he would throw her against the wall and knock her unconscious. But again, I know it can't happen because it has to end the way it ends. He has to stop him because that's how it has to happen. They can't let Kingpin go kill Eleanor. It, it's just not going to happen, but it just was a little bit stupid to me. Well, her falls
0: kept getting broken up by those big stacks of empty boxes that are there for reasons.
1: Yeah, they catch her so she doesn't get hurt, I guess. Plus the incredibly convenient timing of, so she finally gets herself outside after blowing up Kingpin. And just as she hears her mom climbs out of the car, police roll up and immediately arrest Eleanor. (laughs) Yeah. Even though at that point, how would they even know? But I don't know. I don't care. But the whole idea is like, oh, that... Eleanor's mad that Kate's letting the police arrest her. I, yeah, who cares?
0: Well, they had implied that Kate actually called them and was having her arrested. Oh, okay. Kate gave the police the information that led to her arrest. And, and that's why she, you know, she was all you know, throwing guilt. Like, this is what heroes do? They have their mothers arrested on Christmas? Which I thought was a horrible line, but whatever.
1: And then I guess we have the other, and then the, the other resolution is Maya confronts Kazi... So Maya is basically comes back not to help the Tracksuit Mafia, but to try to get Kazi to run away with her. So she, fi- she figures out that Kazi was Ronan's informant. So Kazi was her dad's right-hand man, who was conveniently not there the day that Ronan killed the Tracksuit Mafia. So she confronts him about that, and she tries to, even despite that betrayal, tries to get him to run away with her, and he refuses, so she kills him. And then after Eleanor is arrested, we see Kingpin get away, uh, limping down the street. He survives being blown up, and then he has a confrontation with Maya. and we just she's pointing a gun at him. Camera cuts away and we hear a gunshot. And we don't know what happened.:
0: Well, you hear the gunshot, and then you hear a thud as if a body's falling.
1: Right. Did she shoot Kingpin? Did Kingpin take the gun and shoot her? If she shot Kingpin, did she kill Kingpin? We don't see what happened.
0: Yeah, we know from Daredevil that he's got bulletproof clothing. Right. And so my takeaway from it is she
1: shot him in the chest. The bullet bounced off. He knocked her out. Yeah, Yeah. because it's unlikely. Again, they don't show us for a reason. We don't know what happened. It's highly unlikely that they would have killed Kingpin. Yeah. But it was just weird to have that final confrontation, but then not show us what actually happens.
0: And then leads us to our, of course, happy ending with Kate and Pizza Dog going with Hawkeye to his family for Christmas.
1: And Pizza Dog is now called Lucky. I like Pizza Dog better. So yeah, they go back and and see Clint's family. And here's where we get, finally, what was the watch about? When we get back to the final scene, we find out that, the watch was actually Laura's, and she flips the watch over, and it's a S.H.I.E.L.D. watch, and it has the engraved number 19 on it, and even though they don't say anything about it, that's for the fans as a Easter egg implying that Laura was Agent 19, Mockingbird. I still don't understand why the fuck we would care. It's a huge comic books thing. It's a huge comic book thing, but... What would the watch alone have done? Was, was there encrypted data on the watch? Why was the watch important? So, what? It was Agent 19's watch. How would that, why was that, why did that need to be retrieved? How, how would that give away who Laura was? Or even if people knew who Laura was now, why would they give a fuck? Well, we'll find out in season two. I, I don't know if there will be a season, but I just thought it was a it was a weird red herring because it was lots of other like wild fan theories about what the watch actually was. Like a lot of people, some people thought it was going to be like a Tony Stark watch, and it had an Iron Man suit inside of it, or something like that. But the idea that oh, it's it's his uh, wife's watch, and that his wife is Mockingbird, which also irritated Agents of Shield fans, the television series, because a different actress played Mockingbird in Agents of Shield, and they did Mockingbird differently. Mm -hmm. So yet another time that the MCU wants to basically say nope, we will not acknowledge. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. television series in the movies or the the MCU. Yeah. See, here's the thing with all those fan
0: theories. I could not give a fuck about fan theories. Yeah, this stuff is kind of fun to think about, but I do not give a shit what anybody else thinks this might be or that could be or how this might tie to that. Don't care. We'll never care. I don't want to hear it. I don't give a shit. Let the writers tell the story. That's what I want. I can see the fan theories actually kind of ruining things like this because they. I don't think there was that much put into the watch until the fan theories put more into the watch.
1: Maybe, but again, it comes back to what we said before, like why was the watch even in the show? Like you said, the first time through, you forget about the watch until the watch is mentioned again. And a big deal was made in episode one that that's, the object, the only object that they had to get was the watch, which makes why Tracksuit Mafia, why Maya or King Pudman want it. We forget about it and then it's why they have to go to have the confrontation in episode four and then we find out what it is. It was just a, a comic book reference for people like, hey, look, it's Mockingbird. Why? The way that it was done annoys me more. I don't care about the fan theories e- either but why put something in there if it's actually not going to be anything that that's just why it was annoying to me. And
0: it it doesn't answer it. But at the same time, even, even the conversation between Clinton, his wife about the watch, it was kind of like a, uh, yeah, I should probably go get that. It it wasn't like a, oh shit, they have the watch. We got to stop that immediately. It was, uh, yeah, it's probably not good that they have it. I'll go get it.
1: Plus, Laura finds where the watch is by somehow logging in and activating its tracking beacon, and then he brings the watch home with him to the secret location where his family lives. Wouldn't they be able to track the watch back there?
0: But Shield already knows that he's there.
1: Well, Shield at this point is done. And it only annoyed me because it was just a a, a useless detail that's not going to go anywhere. It was just fair enough.
0: Then they finally wrap all, everything up by uh, Kate and Hawkeye go out into the backyard and, and throw the Ronin suit on the grill, have a little barbecue. And the one thing that actually stood out to me in that is they actually even had very similar wounds. So like the same spots in their faces were bandaged up. And I thought that was just kind of interesting. One of those little details.
1: And the ending joke of like, here's something you, know, you need to pick a name. Like how about Lady Hawk? And they sent a couple of others. Kate was talking about what her name should be. Mm-hmm. And then it just ends on him saying, well, how about... And then it just cuts to the title card, Hawkeye. In other words, she's going to be the new Hawkeye.
0: Right, which we all knew anyway.
1: That's what this series was all about for me. Yeah. That's what I mean. It served its purpose. She's the new Hawkeye.
0: Yep. And then we get the post credit scene, which
1: you enjoyed way more than I did. Rogers the Musical! I thought it was funny. I thought it was very well done that we actually get to see the full production ever because we saw part of it in episode one and Clint walks out because he took his kids to see it. He walks out in part because he also took his hearing aid out there because he didn't want to listen to it, which is understandable. But he walks out. He also jokingly didn't like the inaccuracies of the fact that like Ant-Man, is a it's a musical about the Battle of New York and he was annoyed that ant-man was in it because ant-man wasn't there. <laughs> but we see the full we see the full production number in the post-credit scene of episode 6. I thought it was I thought it was funny. I thought it was it was entertaining. It was a well-done part, which was also kind of one of the things I was rambling on about earlier, which I've always wanted to see them address in some way, but they really haven't. And not to take a tangent, but this was one of the reasons why I wanted to see spider-man no way home actually have the trial of peter parker that i thought was coming with the way far from home ended because one of my ongoing questions was was what exactly does the public think about the avengers are they popular with the public or not do the public see them as good guys or bad guys i mean there was some even before Endgame, it was some, like the Sokovian Accords was some backlash against superpowered people causing collateral damage, which meant them unpopular with some parts of the population. But you know, some people maybe being mad that they couldn't stop Thanos in Infinity War and then also maybe being mad that they caused a blip and brought everybody back afterwards and whether or not they would actually be seen as heroes or not. So that whole thing when I was talking about earlier about, you know, thank you for saving the world, I took it as kind of dismissive, but also this whole thing, again, do people still consider the Avengers to be heroes? And this one kind of leaves you with the impression that they do. Yeah. But maybe in a dismissive or pop culture way, because some people could say that Rogers the Musical was not disrespectful, but it's like, is that really a great... I don't know. I, I'm rambling here, but it, was like, it wasn't really addressed by this series. It doesn't seem like it's ever going to get addressed by Marvel. What is really the public sentiment against or for the Avengers?
0: And I think the reason is because it's mixed. Because we, we did get some where people, you know, with, the like you said, the Sokovian Accords, people blamed them for things, but also they know that they saved the city. So, like, in New York, they're heroes because they saved New York. But in other areas, it's mixed because, yeah, they saved, but they also caused. And so there's, I mean, just like anything, you, you get mixed reactions on things. So you're not going to get like a, oh, this is how everybody thinks because everybody's going to be thinking differently. And I think you got some of that where, you know, they're walking down the street and most people are just ignoring him, even though they probably know who he is. They're just ignoring him. But then you get the random person going, oh my God, it's you. You know, similar to celebrities.
1: There was that, but it was almost more of a, a lesser. Like even like at the LARPing events, when he was signing up, like the woman at Run is like, "Yeah, I know who you are." Like she wasn't like fanboying over him. It's like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. I know who you are, but who cares?" Right. So like I said, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, some people showed respect, like the Asian restaurant that they ate at, they got their meal for free because hey, I know who you are. You saved the city, thank you. But most of the other stuff, I thought was somewhat dismissive. And again, whether or not. Rogers the musical is something that actually is popular because it shows appreciation for the Avengers or it's mocking them by turning what they did into a musical, whatever. No, I see. I see what you're saying. I like Rogers the musical though.
0: (laughs) I think it was neat that they were paying respects to it. And it also kind of brought back to captain America's origin of, you know, selling the bonds and doing the performances and kind of tied that back together a little bit.
1: But, anyways, we've been going on
0: for quite a while here.
1: Yeah, we talked way longer than we needed to about this series. <laughs> it's the downside of the episode by episode approach. There wasn't a lot to talk about in the series, and we talked about it for way, way too much.
0: Yeah, I think there was a lot there in the series, but we could have summed things up a little bit better. So, let's go ahead and sum things up. What's, uh, do you have a metaphorical rating? Sure,
1: I'll go first because mine is more pejorative, I guess. So my metaphor rating is Hawkeye on ice, which is a pun on the fact that the penultimate battle is on the ice in New York City where he's battling the tracksuit and mafia. And Yulina also kind of poking the fun at like ice capades at the Rogers the Musical thing. <laughs> but also that we are putting Hawkeye on ice. I don't really think, other than maybe a brief introduction to the Avengers, I think Clint Barton is done with the MCU. And going forward, we'll just see when there's a Hawkeye thing, it'll just be Kate Bishop, although it'll probably be more of a young Avengers thing. But to me, this was the, okay, we gave Hawkeye a thing. We're done with Hawkeye now.
0: Yeah, I think if we see Clint Barton again, it's going to be as a cameo. I don't think he's really going to be in anything again.
1: Yeah. So what's your metaphorical rating? My
0: metaphorical rating is Rudy Tootie, and Shooty. Wow. Which I uh, stole from Brian Regan. It's it's a joke from him, but uh, for me, this was just it was a fun ride. It was interesting to watch. There was some thought-provoking stuff, but it was mostly just sit back, have fun, watch the fight scenes. The end. Yep. And that's about it.
1: Yeah, it was good enough for what it was trying to do.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I think if they'd uh, if they'd have tried to do anything more with it, it would have been too much. I think it was borderline too much already. They they had so many different storylines going on, it was almost hard to keep straight, especially watching week to week. Kind of hard to remember and keep everything straight and what what was going where. Which also to me, I think, kind of goes into what Hawkeye was feeling throughout all this too. Is there's so much going on? He's like, oh God damn it! Just let me retire so yeah i don't know if they'd have done anything more if they'd have tried to draw this out into even one more episode i think it would have been too much it did drag in a couple episodes but i think they needed that in order to set things up even though things were set up in somewhat ridiculous ways
1: yep it was good
0: enough there you have it folks good enough thank you for listening to fanboy and the hater we really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at
1: Fanboy Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also
0: find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify,
1: iHeartRadio, and many
0: more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.